Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Back on Mother's Day, uh, God gave me a special message for the body. You will remember uh, when we came to Him to have the lifting of our heaviness. I promised you then that I would give you a Mother's Day message on the first Sunday in June. And today is the day, mothers, uh, for that message on how to have a spiritual impact on your children. Take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our study of 2 Timothy. You will remember that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, who was a pastor, a young pastor in Ephesus. Paul was in prison at the time, and this was his last imprisonment. He had clear indications that his death was not far off, and therefore you could say these are his dying words, his dying declaration. As he gives Timothy some very important information for the church of all ages, of things that must be done if the church and if the people of the church, Christians are going to accomplish the mission that God has given us. So mothers, the purpose of today's message is to encourage you. To encourage you by showing you how important you can be to the spiritual development of your children. History bears out this truth. As we listen to former presidents of the United States Abraham Lincoln said of his mother, I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. William McKinley said, By the blessings of heaven, I mean to live and die, please God, in the faith of my mother. Ronald Reagan said, For my mother I learned the value of prayer. How to have dreams and believe I could make them come true. Not only does history bear this out, but more importantly, Scripture bears out the important truth that you as mothers can have a tremendous influence over the spiritual development of your children. And in our passage today, we have Timothy. And Timothy's mother and grandmother had a major impact on his spiritual development. Timothy is a prime example of the influence that a mother can have in the absence of a godly father. Now, Timothy's dad was a Gentile. He was an unbeliever. His spiritual influences early in his life were those of his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Now, you've heard me speak more than once of the father's responsibility as a spiritual leader of the home. And that is true, men, and nothing that you hear today will in any way negate that responsibility that you have. But women, you can be encouraged that when the man of the house fails to fulfill his God-given responsibility, either because he is a Christian who is immature or lazy, or he is an unbeliever, that God, by His grace, 
can use you, mother, to have a tremendous spiritual impact on your child, such as the case with Timothy. In the absence of a godly father, in the absence of a Christian father, in the absence of a father that would fulfill any responsibility toward Timothy in a spiritual way, his mother and grandmother stepped up and by the grace of God tremendously influenced his spiritual development. And so ladies, be encouraged. If you live in a home where the father is not doing what God's called him to do, Nevertheless, you, by the grace of God, can step up and have a tremendous impact on the spiritual development of your children. Now, let's read our passage beginning in verse 10 of chapter 3. You will remember that Paul has written to Timothy in chapter 3 about the difficult days that he can expect ahead. How in the last days of which we are in now, there will be much evil in men and women, that society itself will have fallen away from the absolute principles and truths of Scripture. And Paul tells Timothy that in spite of these evil men, in spite of the ungodly society that he finds himself living in, that he must live as a godly man in an ungodly world. He says in verse 10, Now, in contrast to the evil men he mentions in the first nine verses. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, and where persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Now Paul was from... uh, Timothy was from the town of Lystra. Now, if you go back in Acts, you will see when Paul came to Lystra the first time, he healed a man who was lame, and as a result of that, the Jewish people took offense because he did it on the Sabbath and stoned Paul and left him for dead. When they left Paul, they thought he was a dead man. Now, some scholars believe that God supernaturally brought him back to life. Either that or he was not really dead. And they just thought he was, but then he brought himself up and he managed to leave that town only to return later to continue his witness. But Timothy had observed that and had seen Paul go through those sufferings. And Paul goes on to say in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors who will proceed from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. You, however, in contrast to these evil men, Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul says, Timothy, you're to be different. Don't be like these evil men. You stand against the tide. You be a godly man in an ungodly world. 
And in order for you to do that, there is a spiritual foundation that has been laid in your life. Timothy had a spiritual foundation that was laid in his life by his mother Eunice and by his grandmother Lois. And because he had this foundation laid in his life, he was able to stand as a godly man in an ungodly world. Now let's look at this spiritual foundation that his mother and grandmother laid in his life. The same foundation, mothers, that you can lay in your children's lives. There are three things. First, cultivate in them a respect for the Scriptures. Notice it says in verse 14, You, however, continue, and that's a command, in the things you have learned. Now, in order for Timothy to learn, and this word learn comes from the same root word disciple, a learner. This means it was an intentional learning. It wasn't just something that he picked up by mistake. But he intentionally learned the Word of God. Now that tells me that somebody was teaching him. And it was clear from this passage and another we'll see in a moment that it was his mother Eunice and his grandmother that were teaching him the truth of God. Mothers, there must be a time for teaching your children the Scriptures. A passage we've seen before in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says it so clearly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. And Moses goes on to say, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see, it's not just 10 or 15 or 30 minutes a day when you say, Sit down, I'm getting ready to instruct you in the Bible. Oh no. It is a lifestyle, isn't it? When you lay down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, that means it is a continual thing. It is a way of life to talk about the things of God with your children. Why read them nursery rhymes when you can read them the stories of the Word of God? Now, most all mothers spend time reading to their children. Even secular educational uh, instructors tell us that it's important to read to your children. So why not read them from the truth of God's Word? There are many books out there, storybooks of Bible stories that you can use to read to your children when you read to them. When you put them down at night, spend time talking about their day and how God had been working through their day and the blessings that God has given them. When you're out walking outside, look at the trees and say, look at those trees. God made those trees. Look at the sky. God made the sky. God made the clouds. And just develop within them a Christian worldview. As they get older and they come home and they're talking about things going on at school, things that are bothering them, bring them back to the Word of God. What does God's Word say about this situation? Throughout the day, as you're sitting around the table at lunch or at supper, 
Talk, talk about the things of God. Relate the things of God to what's going on. That is teaching your children the Scriptures. Secondly, before I move on from that, let me tell you what George Washington said about his mother's teaching. He said, All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? That is a pretty awesome statement by one of the greatest men our country has ever known, George Washington. The importance of his mother's instruction. But not only must you teach your children the Scriptures, but secondly, you must live the Scriptures before your children. In verse 14, Paul says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. You see, it's one thing to know the Scriptures. It's another thing to believe them. It's quite another thing to be convinced that they are true and that they are the Word of God and you surrender to them as the authority in your life. Oh, it's two different things. You can know the Bible. You can know all the facts of the Scriptures and not really believe it. Just see it as any other book. But Timothy not only knew the Scriptures, but he was convinced of the Scriptures. Well, how does one get convinced of the truthfulness of the Word of God? First and foremost, the Holy Spirit has to convict us and convince us that the Bible is the Word of God. But you know what? He often uses people as the means to convince us. What's more convincing to a child than to see their parent believing the Word of God? What's more convincing to a child of the truthfulness of the Bible than to see a mother or father that believes in the truthfulness of Scripture and lives by that truthfulness? That holds up the Word of God as the standard of their life, as the standard of their decisions. That emanates a love for the Word of God. When a child sees that, they become convinced this must indeed be the Word of God. They see your faith in the Bible, your obedience to it, your love for it. And it serves, the Holy Spirit uses it to convince them of the truthfulness of it. As they see you claim the promises of the Bible and God moves in response to your faith, they become convinced, hey, the Bible is true. God does what He says. Four scholars were talking one day. And they were talking about which translation of the Bible they liked the best. And one said, well, I like the King James Version the best because of its poetic nature and its command and eloquence of the Old English language. Another scholar said, no, I like the New American Standard translation the best because of its accuracy and how literal it is to to the original manuscripts of the Word of God. He said, I've got to go with that. The third said, no, I don't agree with either of you guys. I like the New International Version because of its contemporary language and it takes some hard idiomatic passages from the Old Testament and New Testament and puts them in everyday language so that I can understand them. A fourth scholar said, I don't agree with any of you guys. Translation I like best is my mother's translation. And those scholars started kind of laughing. He said, no. He said, my mother translated every page of the Bible. She translated it into her life every day. 
And that's the most convincing translation I have ever seen. Mothers, you are the first Bible your children will ever read. Not only must you teach it to them, but you must live it. And in so doing, you will create within them a respect for the Word of God, which is the number one first foundation that's necessary. Secondly, the second foundation stone is lead them to an authentic faith in Christ. Verse 15, And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ results in salvation from our sins, a new life in Christ, and a place with God for eternity. Eunice and Lois had this faith in Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, in verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well. Notice the phrase, sincere faith. That means an unhypocritical faith. That means a genuine faith. That means a true faith. As opposed to a nominal faith. As opposed to a name-only faith. We have a term that we say a person is a nominal Christian. That means a name-only Christian. In other words, if you ask them, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But they're really not born again. They really don't live the Christian life. They just consider because they believe there's a God, and they believe that Jesus was His Son, that they're Christians. They've never experienced the new birth. They've never been born again into the kingdom of God. But Paul wants to make a distinction between that kind of person and a person who has experienced a genuine regeneration, a genuine born-again experience. And he uses the word sincere. You know, there's a faith that leads to hell. James talks about a dead faith. But there is a living faith, a faith that is a result of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, and that's a sincere faith, and that's the faith that Paul says he knows that Lois and Eunice have. And he's convinced Timothy has it as well. So you see, you must lead them to an authentic faith in Christ. Lois and Eunice had come to a point in their lives that they realized that they were separated from a holy God because they had sinned. They had fallen short of God's holiness. Because the Bible says we all have. They realized that God is a ruler of the universe, demand their obedience. And they had been living in rebellion and disobedience to God. And they recognized that if they continued in that state, in that condition, they would spend an eternity in hell and separation from God and all that's holy and lovely. But they realized that Jesus Christ, God's Son, had come and lived a perfect life lived the life they could not live. He died in their place on the cross, punished for their sins. And He rose again from the dead as Savior and Lord. And that they must come to a place that they submit their will to His will as Lord of their lives, believing that He accomplished everything necessary for their salvation. And they came to that point by the grace of God, and they were born again, and therefore they had a sincere 
faith. Now, mothers, if you're going to lead your child to an authentic faith in Christ, a saving faith in Christ, there are three things you need to do. Now, you cannot save them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But you can lead them to an authentic faith. But there are three things you need to do if you're going to accomplish that. Number one, you must nurture your own faith. You must take time to cultivate your walk with Jesus. It's easy to become so busy with the daily rigors of motherhood that you neglect your personal walk with Christ. Now, Dad, you can help at this point. Even if Dad is not a believer, he can watch the children so that Mom can have time to get along with God. If it's only 15 to 20 minutes, surely, Dad, you can look after the kids for that long so Mom can have some time with the Lord. Moms, you must make time every day. Even if it's only 10 to 15 minutes, you've got to have that time every day with the Lord if you're going to nurture your faith. You can't just give out over and over and over without replenishing. You've got to go to the well. And that's the Lord Jesus. Read the Word. Get a devotional book like the one we gave out on Mother's Day. Get a book that will help you to to get into the Scriptures and get into the things of God and understand the heart and mind of God. So the first thing you must do is nurture your own faith. Secondly, you must live your faith before your children. Your walk with Jesus should overflow into all areas of your life. Let your children see you praying. Let them see you reading the Bible. Share with them prayer requests that you are praying. And when God answers those requests, share that with them as well. Let them see you turning to God for the needs in your life. Give them a spiritual perspective on life, a Christian worldview. Let them see your godly submission to your husband, your respect and your honor for him. And when they look at your life, they should see what it means to have a sincere faith and a walk with Jesus. A personal walk with Jesus. The story is told of a pastor who was having a long conversation with someone about becoming a member of his church. And finally, after talking to the young man for some time at length, the young man said, yes, I think I will join the church. And so the pastor got a little curious after that, and he said, well, what was it that I said that finally convinced you to join the church? He said, preacher, it wasn't anything you've ever said that convinced me to join the church. It was the way my mother lived. So you see, ladies, you must not only have the faith, nurture the faith, but you need to live it before your children. Third thing you need to do is pray for them. Now, this passage does not specifically say that Eunice and Lois prayed for Timothy. But is there any doubt in your mind that they did? I mean, when you look at Hannah and her prayers for Samuel, when you look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her heart of prayer and how she was in the upper room praying after he had been killed and resurrected, when you see that John Mark's mother had a prayer meeting in her house when Peter was in prison, you remember? Is it any doubt in your mind that Eunice and Lois prayed for Timothy? You too must pray for your children on a regular basis. The first foundation is that there must be that, that respect for the Word of God. That's laid down as you teach them the Word and as you live the Word. Second foundation is 
lead them to an authentic faith in Christ. That's done by you nurturing your faith, by you living your faith before them, and by you praying for them. The third foundation stone. Instill in them a desire to serve God. You see, the fruit of this respect for the Word of God and this authentic faith is they serve God. The goal you have for your children is to raise them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they desire to serve Him. Over in Acts 16, when Paul came to Lystra the first time, and he found Timothy, look at what they say about Timothy. Verse 1, Acts 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. Now in this passage, there are three qualities in him that enabled him to serve God. First, and these things must be in your child, he was growing in Christ. Your child, if he's going to serve God, must be growing in his faith. See the word disciple there? Timothy was a disciple. One who was growing in his faith. Now, in back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a key to spiritual growth is the Word of God. Notice it is in the context of this passage about standing strong against evil, about being strong in the faith, that we have those words of Scripture that we're so familiar with in verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There's no accident that that verse is there. Because the key to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is the Word of God. You cannot separate it. It is through the Word of God and time in the Word of God and believing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God that we grow spiritually. Because the Word of God is profitable for teaching us. It will teach us truth about God, truth about life, truth about our situation. It's profitable for improving us, showing us where we're wrong, showing us what we need to do differently. It's profitable for correction. It shows us what we need to do right when we've done wrong, corrects us. And for training in righteousness. Notice that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Word of God contains everything we need to be equipped to serve God. That's why if you're going to instill in your children a desire to serve God, you've got to get them into the Word. You've got to bring them in contact with the Word of God through the Spirit of God. It is that Word of God that creates that desire to serve Him and equips us to do so. Equipped for every good work. So the first thing is they must be growing in Christ. That means you need to encourage them to have their quiet times, to have a time with God. Now the rule of thumb around our house is when a child got nine years old, they were expected to start having their quiet times. Now before that, we would have their quiet times with them and, and we would show them how to have it. But when they got nine years old, they were expected to start having their own. Now, I would check on them. How's it going? What are you doing? You have to hold them accountable. But they were expected at that age, they were old enough, we felt, to start doing that. 
And we continued to have family times as well, but they were accountable for getting into the Word of God themselves. Now, that meant for some of them we had to get them uh, one of these simple children's Bibles that they could read for themselves. Not, you know, you wouldn't hand one the King James Version at nine and say, go at it, son. <laughs> you know, you've got to use some wisdom here. But give them something they can read that's biblical. Some of these little children's Bibles, Bible stories, and then turn them loose. Instruct them how to do it and then hold them accountable. They were required to start taking notes during the Sunday sermons when they were nine years old. So, help them grow spiritually. That means encourage them in times with the Lord in the Word. Encourage them in times of prayer. Take them to church activities that promote spiritual growth. We have things here that help them and make them a part of that. The Iwana program and other things that we're doing. Encourage and bring them as a part of that. Guard where they go, what they see, what they're listening to, the music that they hear, the programs they watch, all of that you need to guard to help promote their spiritual growth. Secondly, they must have a good reputation. Look what it says about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Instill in your children the importance of a good reputation. You know, young people just don't understand how important a good reputation is. And they don't understand how hard it is to build a reputation and how easy it is to destroy it. Proverbs says, A good name is to be desired more than great wealth. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but only a minute to destroy it. The Bible says, Abstain from every appearance of evil. Young people, hear that. It doesn't just say, abstain, stay away from evil. But it says, every appearance of evil. Your reputation, your witness is at stake. Impress upon your children how important it is that they maintain a good witness and a good reputation. Explain to them how they must guard their reputation. There is a thing called guilt by association. Now, you can say that's not right. Well, it may not be right, but it happens. You go to a party where there's drinking, word gets out, you're there. Well, I didn't drink. Doesn't matter. You were there. Other people were drinking. You're going to be guilty by association. You go to a party where there are drugs. Oh, I didn't do any drugs. Well, it doesn't matter. You were there. People knew you were there. People knew there were drugs. You're going to be guilty by association. You've got to watch who you hang with. Bad company corrupts good morals. And you may feel mean, you may feel cruel, saying, look, I can't hang around with you as long as you're doing this. Because you've got a reputation before Christ to uphold. Because your witness is important, and if you destroy your reputation, you destroy your witness. You become a hypocrite. Make sure your children understand how important it is to maintain a good reputation. Thirdly, they must be willing to serve. Timothy was willing to serve. Paul wanted him to join him in his journeys, and Timothy joined Paul. You're going to create within your children a willingness, a desire to serve God, then you need to provide opportunities if they can do that. You know, whether it be through the puppet ministry here at our church, whether it be going with you to clean the home of, of some elderly person that's unable to clean it because of their own physical illnesses, give them an opportunity to serve. 
Whether it be cutting somebody's grass, doing yard work for somebody, whether it be working in vacation Bible school, give them an opportunity to do things. When they're real small, let them go with you and see you doing good deeds serving God and incorporate them in that experience. Let them see your joy in serving God and this will catch in their lives. And they will find a joy in serving God. So create opportunities for them to serve God. Timothy joined Paul even though it meant enduring hardships. Your children should be willing to serve God if they're going to be used of Him in a mighty way. Suzanne Wesley was a mother of 17 children, two of which were Charles and John Wesley. Now, she was far from being infallible, and I don't offer these comments as infallibility or equal with Scripture, but she did have some experience. And when your two sons happened to one, two of them happened to be John and Charles Wesley, you've got to figure she did something right. Right? When you think about the influence that a mother has on her children, and you see John and Charles Wesley, you've got to figure this lady knew something. Well, she gave some advice to mothers. And let me just read these for you mothers. She said, Subdue self-will in a child. And thus work together with God to save his soul. Secondly, teach the child to pray as soon as he can talk. Thirdly, give the child nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. Thirdly, never allow rebellious, sinful acts to go unnoticed. Next, commend and reward Good behavior. And then lastly, strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. You want to have a spiritual impact on your children, then you must instill within them a respect for the Word of God by teaching it to them and living it before them. Lead them to an authentic faith in Jesus Christ by nurturing your own faith and living your faith and praying for them and sharing God's gospel with them. And then create within them a desire to serve God by them seeing you serving and taking them along in opportunities of service and getting them into the Word. Mothers, be encouraged. Jesus died and rose again that you could have the grace and power you need to have a spiritual impact on your children. You can't do this in your own strength. God never said for you to. He said, come to me. All you who are weak and weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to be this kind of mother. I want to be a mother that, and grandmother that has this kind of spiritual impact on my children and grandchildren. But I need your grace. That's all he asks. Come to him and say, I want to be and I'm trusting you to enable me to be this kind of mother and grandmother. And he will enable you to be it. He will give you that strength you need each day for that day. Look to him. He is your grace. He is your power. He is your life. I know you're weary some days and you just think, man, I can't keep going. Find your strength in Jesus. Let's pray.